A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. It is International Happiness Day. Is Happy it? International Happiness Day, David. Oh, I, I, I will smile. This then. is this is the endlessly happy David Law of BT Sport and Queens and all other parishes. Happy International Happiness Day, David Law. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I should be some sort of mascot for that kind of day, personally. I didn't know it was that day, but I brought my smile anyway, and uh, I feel just dandy. <laughs> dandy. David has enough happiness to to enable all the Earth's other 7 billion inhabitants to be sufficiently happy to celebrate International Happiness Day. I really, He certainly has enough happiness for me to borrow some. David, I reckon that Roger Federer and Elaine Vesnina are enjoying International Happiness Day, don't you think? Actually, to be fair, they do rival me. Uh, and uh, I would say this week usurp me because uh, you're right. Uh, both of them looked absolutely... I mean, who wouldn't be after you've just won one of the biggest titles in the sport outside the slams and you know the one everybody loves in Indian Wells and it's got all sorts of riches on offer too loads of points and, uh, to go with it but but surely just the way that they go about their business uh, is 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 a testament to, to how it, I think every champion should feel after after a big win and how the sport should feel you know not only Roger Federer who obviously we know just loves everything about being a tennis player and being Roger Federer but Visnina is somebody who went down outside the world's top 100 just over a year ago I, I remember commentating on a match of hers at uh, on BT Sport when where I said she's she's basically a doubles player now really a, a doubles specialist and because that's how she felt she didn't look like she was going to get anywhere near the the top 50 again uh, because she was just, she, I think she lost nine first rounds in 2015. She lost seven times in qualifying. She just wasn't even a competitive player. She's now the world's number 13th ranked player, and she's just won Indian Wells. I, I, I mean, it, that that is almost arguably more of a shock than the return of Roger Federer to the very pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, yesterday the finals of Indian Wells were just sheer untempered joy weren't they Stanford Rinker's tears aside that was the only element of non-joy everything else about it was sheer joy and particular joy David yet more good news on International Happiness Day uh, for the over 30s of which you and I are both I mean I've slipped into another category. <laughs> yeah, but you are still, you will forever be in the over 30s category now. That's the good news. That's my new positive spin on uh, the age that I've become. You know, that, that is that I am an over 30s. That, that's what David Brent said, isn't he? 30s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 39, but still 30s. So, yeah, I'm another, another major tournament, not quite as major as the Australian Open, but another very significant tournament where all four finalists are over 30. It's more than it's more than a small trend now. It's what's happening in tennis. Why is that? I d- I d- I'm trying, you know, when you we, we, we comment on it, we say it's happening. We say that players are now doing better when they're older, when they're in their 30s, and there are fewer teenagers really making the, the Nadal-type, Hingis-type, Becker-type breakthroughs. There are some. I mean, we see Denis Shapovalov. We'll talk about him later. He's just won a challenger. But you, you don't expect these these kids anymore to come out and dominate the sport which is what they used to be doing what why 
It's also a trend that doesn't sit brilliantly alongside the trope of the last few years, which is the discussion of how tennis is too physically demanding, how the schedule is too physically demanding, how these athletes can't possibly keep it up and they're all at breaking point. I mean, I know Roger Federer is is a bit of an anomaly in that the energy he expends to uh, achieve his greatness is... Well, by the greatest contrast is to Nadal, isn't it? That for every ounce of greatness, the energy expended is is more for Nadal than it is for Federer, just to the different natures of their game. But it is a trend that doesn't sit brilliantly alongside that debate, does it? I mean, both are completely... That, that debate is still valid, I believe, but is it rather contradicted by the fact that we've got 35-year-olds winning everything i mean i think if you were to use federer and serena williams as your evidence i don't think that they can be really used in that way because i think that they are exceptions to i agree the take uh, them out you know for me they're the greatest of all time but okay let's talk stan varinka sure. and kuznetsova and Viznina then just a quick note on federer and and i realize we are partnered with the telegraph so you know you might say i would say this but i, I on the way down here on the train I, I read simon briggs's piece on federer in which he held his hands up and said i was wrong about roger federer and explained why and you know I think all of us, pretty much, I, I know, Catherine, you did say he would win another slam. I don't think even you th- thought he would come back to this sort of level. Absolutely not. And, no. and I, don't, I don't know anybody within the sport from a journalistic perspective who actually thought this would happen or even thought it was possible, really. I know there are many of you listening who are diehard Roger Federer fans and, uh, you know, tip your hat. I tip my hat to you because if you were the one who said, oh, well, I believe he can still do it, I, I, I can't believe that that really was much more than just blind faith. And I, and I, I understand that. I, I mean, I, I'm forever going to watch my football team and thinking they're going to win the Champions League. They are rubbish, all right? Hey, they beat Arsenal at the weekend. They did. West uh, Brom could be responsible for the ousting yeah. of Arsene Wenger. I don't think Roger so. Federer is a different but, story because he is, well the greatest player I've ever seen pick up a tennis racket but I still don't know anybody who saw this coming and 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 that in itself makes that article by Simon well worth a read but yeah it is a great article it's it's it, I completely agree I don't think there is anybody sensible really claiming they saw this coming and I include Roger Federer himself That's funny, in that. Isn't it? It, it, he didn't think he could do it either absolutely really not, not he to said this his, level. his goal for the year was to be top 8 by Wimbledon was he just being bashful and now he point and now he points out that he could actually not play between now and Wimbledon and still be top 8 he said in his press conference yesterday and uh, in his interview with Sky uh, on the court after the match, he said, in theory, I could just sit back and relax for the next few months until Wimbledon. I don't Actually, think he's going no. to. You know, if, he, if, he, if he were completely honest, and I think it, he perhaps might restrain himself from being completely honest because how can you do it without looking arrogant? I reckon that if you'd have asked him what he really thinks, I think he probably would have said, look, if I'm healthy and I play as well as I can play... Yeah, it I'm going to win everything. It, it is possible because I think I'm the best. Really, I reckon that's, well, he what, he be- that's what he deep down believes. And, and you've got to believe that, haven't you? Who doesn't deep down believe that now, though? He is the best tennis player in the world at the moment. I mean, the race shows that. He is the best tennis player of 2017. Just to go back to um, what you were saying about how thoroughly unexpected this is. It's more. My brother tweeted something this week, which I think was great. He said, there is an alternate universe somewhere where... Donald Trump isn't the president. We're not out of the EU in Great Britain. And Roger Federer crashed out at the Australian Open and Ian Wells in the first round. It's it's the unexpected. It, it's the tennis equivalent of these unexpected universe events, isn't it? it is, I believe it is that sort of bizarre and amazing what's happening. Um, so 30s, though. You, the point you made about the, the players getting to these latter stages and it is not it is not just an isolated incident here and there as you said these are we're getting to a point now I think I I looked at some stats on the ATP side not not so long ago I think there was something like 16 or of the top 30 or something like that with we're about to become 30 plus I, I find it extraordinary and I really would love to know if there if anybody's got any proper theory as to why that is so come on at tennis podcast let us know what you think well interestingly this is specific to viznina and to kuznetsova and to russian 
Russians in general, but there was discussion of this um, between Sam Smith and Martina Navratilova on BT Sport yesterday in the lead-up to the women's final, and, and Martina was asked why these Russian women are flourishing so much in their 30s. And, of course, Kuznetsova has flourished in her younger years as well. She won the US Open as a teenager, but let's face it, she's flourishing again. And Martina said that it, it, specific to Russia, it's about almost this sort of... They're taught not to experience the joy of sport when they're young. They almost go into this sausage factory. She described these um, training centres where they're, they're just hitting shot after shot, but with no tennis balls. They're just hitting air shots, you know. just It's purely just a conveyor belt of producing champions. And actually, when they're younger... It's not about experiencing the joy of the sport, but now they're older, they're doing it for themselves, they're doing it for the joy of it, there's no pressure, and they're able to just experience it for what it is in a way that they weren't able to in their 20s. Now, of course, the specifics of that situation are unique to to Russia, and perhaps she was saying the Czech Republic as well back in the day, that's obviously her experience. But I think there is something in just the the very liberated joy of playing tennis there is a liberation to the way these over 30s are playing tennis I think which we don't necessarily see in the hyped up younger players who have everything to prove you know Alex Verov if he doesn't get to world number one he's a failure isn't he because everybody's saying he's a future world number one you know once he gets there and does it all and wins a load of grand slams it's fine pressure's off he can play the sort of liberated tennis that Roger Federer is playing but he can't at the moment I mean he is playing darn good tennis so that's probably a bad example but you know what I mean yeah no I, I do uh, I, I think it's it's probably twofold isn't it uh, and we've seen it in that microcosm of Roger Federer that freshness that he has I think you've just described it well in in the case of somebody like Kuznetsova who's suddenly just feeling the sport again feeling the love of the game and we I think we're going to see it more and more. I think this will be something that may be a problem for the tours in general is that players are going to start thinking about their scheduling and whether mental freshness and peaking is going to be the most important thing to them as they prepare their year. It's probably bad news, actually, for the tours, yeah, isn't it? It's, they it's, are, I think they are going to start losing some of the... It could be a problem. People um, are going to start looking at Serena and Federer and well, thinking... Hang on I was second. trying to work out how many, how many tournaments do we reckon that Roger Federer and Serena Williams might end the year as world number one with having played? I you know, think they, might not even, they might play, you know, 20, not even 20 well, just between looking, I was thinking about this the other day, just in the immediate term. I think Serena will play Rome and then Paris. I think we're only going to see her now once before the next Grand Slam, and that's in Rome. I think Federer... Will play Rome, possibly one of the others, possibly not though. But you know, we, we are looking at, at about ten tournaments apiece for the year, more or less, for those two players. And yet they could—I don't know whether it is even possible to finish number one in the world with that. I suppose if you, I think it is for Federer because he's yeah. got nothing to defend. Second, no, half but, of the but the point is that year-end number one is all about accumulating those points over a calendar year, isn't it? And Roger Federer, at the age of 35 and a half now, and 36 at the end of the year... Well, August. There is a real chance now that he finishes this year as world number one. I would actually say I expect that to happen, whoa. The, way, the way things are whoa, happening. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Whoa. You expect Roger Federer at the end of the to year, yeah. as well At the end one. of the year. Because, I mean, there's a massive gap that Andy Murray has, but... Roger Federer, for this year, has almost got double what everybody else has got so far on this year. Um, he is going to play sparingly. He is going to peak. And he is going to get a lot of points in the, in the, in the tournament. Does that mean he's he going to win play. more slams this year? As things stand, I would say yes. Which is he going to win? Well, I think he, he has he's win Wimbledon, almost he? an equal saying. chance of winning Wimbledon and the US Open, I would say. He, he has got marginally more chance of winning winning Wimbledon, I would say, as things stand. Let's talk about Roger Federer um, in a little bit more detail. There are so many talking points. Let's first explain to you listeners where we are, because we're back in the Putney Exchange, David. I've, I neglected to mention it in my intro. I can't believe it. I just feel so at home. We've just had such a fantastic reception, <laughs> people just walking by, ignoring us, and it has been, well, yeah, where's just the, fanfare? the normal... The normal situation. Actually, good. there are people who sort of walk past, see two people with microphones, stare, and, and then, then head into HOs, Then continue yeah. their journey. 
So that's how we like it. It's good to be back, though, isn't it? It's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's good to be back. And I mean, it's good you, for me to be back. You're not wearing the massive puffer jacket uh, because of the, the, the cold of uh, the train station. No, we're actually recording indoors for once, which is a, a very, very welcome novelty and not in an underground lair as we were last week. Where will we be next week? Tune in to find out. So, anyway, Roger Federer. We, I know we're banging on about Roger Federer, but come on, he's earned it. Let's talk about the backhand, which is like this... Simon Briggs described Peter Fleming describing it on Sky Commentary as like a a naturalist describing a new uh, uh, discovering a new insect or a new life form of some sort. It's like a beetle, a, be- a new beetle. There we go. Yes, insect. I was right the first time. I was so distracted by getting the word naturalist right and not saying nat- not getting it confused with naturist, which is somebody that walks around naked everywhere. That I neglected the um, the insect portion of that anecdote. Anyway, Simon Briggs described that very well. I think about the excited way that people are talking about a shot that we've been looking at for nearly 20 years now. But actually, it's a completely it's not the shot we've been looking at for 20 years, is it? I mean, and he's he's given us so many intriguing nuggets of information about this backhand such as that it was his dad Robert who was there in Indian Wells this week as was his mum Lynette who encouraged him to start hitting over the backhand more and then he revealed that actually all his coaches over the years have been trying to get him to hit over that backhand more and be more aggressive on it but it was he himself that didn't trust himself to do that he said he thought he would shank in the biggest moments and he didn't trust himself to do it which is why he chipped it and sliced it more particularly on the return and now I mean that's just indicative of the confidence and the freedom that he's playing with but let's just as a case study look at the Nadal match the Nadal dismantling and how instrumental the single-handed backhand was well, the, 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 the look on the face of Rafael Nadal told the story. He, he was shocked by it. He, he, I think Nadal came in playing pretty well, feeling pretty up for it, hitting the ball well even in the first couple of games and thought, you know, yeah, come on then. I, I want a bit of revenge for last time. And we both picked Nadal to win that match. Um, but, uh, but I think... It happened, right? <laughs> uh, can we get on to the fact that I picked Nick Kyrgios to come through the quarter and he was only maybe... Stopped. He didn't come through the quarter. Well, he almost did. He didn't come through the quarter. Yeah, we'll get did, on to that in a minute. It's on the agenda, David. We'll get on to it in a minute. All right. So I think Nadal was rocked back on his heels. We're genuinely shocked at what, what Federer was putting up. And, and he did not have any answers. He, I don't even think he played that badly. I think he, he did. Was just, I mean, just shocked. wasn't in the match. But the, the one thing I one wonder... One break point. The one thing I wonder, having, having watched Ivan Lubacic throughout his career and... Having not had a chance to sp- speak to Ivan on record about it, because he won't speak to any of us in the media, and I will keep reminding him about not that. Not even David Law, no. best friend of Roger even, Federer. Even when I not tr- even right. the lawman. Even when I tried to, to doorstep Ivan after Roger had won the Australian Open, and he just sort of said, no, no. <laughs> and he wasn't being rude. He was, he's basically just decided and, and agreed with so Federer. You out your best Croatian for well, him. I, I did, David. and the swear words, and he wasn't having any of it. Um, but you know, David in, Law gets exclusive Ivan Lubicic interview brackets in Croatian, so yeah, nobody can broadcast yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, and all of its swear words. But no, look, he, he, his his view is, I just don't want to do any interviews, and I've I've agreed that with Federer. And also, I think his view is that if I do one with somebody, there's 99 other people who are going to be offended. So look, I fully respect that, really. And Ivan's a lovely bloke, but. I do feel, and I would love to know this for sure, whether he has had an impact because he had the most sensational single-handed backhand. It was his weapon. It was hit over the top virtually every time. There was a crispness to it, and he, he attacked oh, it. If he, if he hasn't had an impact, that's a ridiculous coincidence. Of, yeah, course, he, of it, course he's instrumental. There's, there's, a, there's a Lubacic feel to the way Federer's hitting the backhand, even if it's, even if it's just sheer coincidence, but it does... But it does feel like Lubacic's backhand. It's, it's, it's not a coincidence, David. I'm, I'm telling you that now. Um, I mean, the stats are ridiculous. He's the oldest ever Masters winner. He equals um, the Djokovic now on five Indian Wells titles. Is he going to win Miami? Um, well, I mean, if, that is, if he plays like that, yeah. I mean, the conditions are very diff- different they in Miami, are, though. They are. Look, I tell you, this but, year... I mean, on paper, they suit him better, actually. This I year, I, I, you know... 
we've made a, been, been made to look stupid with predictions <laughs> for most of the last five years. So that's part of the fun of the show. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, they are different. I, I, what, what staggers me is to think back to Roger Federer in 2009. I remember being there in Miami, the one where he crushed his racket into the cement. and Losing and, to Andy Roddick. Yeah. No, was it Andy Roddick? No, I think it was Del Potro. I think he lost uh, to Del Potro. We did a racket smash against Roddick. But that would have been later on. Yeah, that would have been a few, a few years, years later. later. Yeah, this, you're right. This one, the, yeah. the racket smashes are so rare. Yeah. They do stick I, out. I, I, in I your remember mind. this. You know, I remember him in his post-match press conference saying, "I'm just. I've had enough of this hard-court season. I want to go onto the clay." And and he, wow. he he looks so miffed. You know, he's in such a different place right now. And this is eight years on. I mean, the guy was in his late. Well, he was at his prime, in his prime, really, wasn't he? Whoa, 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 David. No, the, the definition of prime. There's a new prime. prime. There's a new prime, right. yeah. We're all experiencing it as so, we speak. Yeah. Um, well, just, just we're darting around here in the, in the agenda, but just while you're on the subject of looking back on quotes from years ago that, that seem like just a different lifetime, somebody put on Twitter... Uh, yesterday, and I should credit them, but I genuinely can't remember who it is. And I will look it up and I will tweet it because it was a great find. Um, Venus Williams in 1997 in Indian Wells saying she couldn't envisage herself playing tennis for much longer because <laughs> she couldn't see herself as somebody that would um, battle through physical difficulties. She said, I can't imagine myself playing through pain and fatigue. And for that reason, I can't see myself being in this game for too long. Yeah, I mean, right. that is that's unreal, isn't it? She's she is now battling through a fatigue-based chronic illness to be one of the most long-standing great tennis players we've ever seen. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, amazing. I, I suppose the, the 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 moral of this tale is you don't necessarily know what you're going to be doing when you're 17, when you're when you're. 40 odd. What did you uh, think you were going to be doing when you were 17? I thought I'd be days? a snooker player. So, <laughs> did you know, you really? there we are. You didn't. Well, hoped. <laughs> there's still time. I don't think there's really an upper age limit on turning pro in snooker. There is a skill requirement. Sounds like, um, sounds like you've got you've got that I, element I, I am of a, it. I am unbeaten on the tennis circuit away. at pool, though, and I have numerous victims. Do you want to name drop a few? No. Go on. Just, leave just that give there. us one. No, just give us one. Fine. No. Ivan Lubitsch, Melas Ranic, uh, Colin Fleming, four times. Um, that bloke from One Direction, right? That's it. That's enough. Can't even, can't even remember the name of the bloke from One Direction who he's crushed at pool. I think it was Liam, by the way. Anyway, uh, moving on from Roger Federer. I mean, there's Dan plenty Evans. more we could say. Is there anything more you've got to say about Federer? I mean, we could, we could talk all day. No, let's talk we? about other people now. Stanford Rinker. He really cared about losing that, didn't he? I know we've had a bit of stick on Twitter about the fact that Vavrinka's speech is in our agenda, and I know he did that. The, the, there was the great one-liner about Federer being a derogatory word, which I would love to say just to highlight how ridiculous it was that Sky commentators were forced to apologise for Vavrinka's use of that word at 11pm. Anyway, uh, but I won't say it because then we'll have to put an explicit rating on our podcast and that would be laughable in itself but anyway that was what it was and it was a great little moment but the fact that he cried I mean Vavrinka's expectations going into Master Series aren't that he reaches the final his record in Master Series events is poor for a three-time Grand, Grand Slam champion yes he's won Monte Carlo but basically it's really poor I remember after the US Open last year when he won the title he was asked oh Stan do you think you know playing like this you could mount a challenge for world number one do you think you could get that and he laughed and said absolutely not no I don't have anywhere near the consistency at Masters level events to, to mount a challenge for world number one so reaching the final is a great week for him but it was clear in that speech that he wanted a lot more Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yeah, I think that, that's what it comes down to. You have to not underestimate how much these people are putting into this. It's not just the couple of hours you see on the court. It's all the other stuff. It's the, it's the training. It's the, 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 the hours awake at night. I can imagine they lie there thinking about tennis and thinking about how to improve and thinking about how to beat somebody. I don't, I don't know if Federer does anymore because... You know, he, he's got a different kind of life. But all those that are, have yet to fulfill all that potential, it's a stressful business. It's tiring. It's emotionally taxing. And, and I think that whether they achieve it or whether they don't achieve it, it all comes spilling out, whatever it is, at the end. Or at least, to me, that's the human reaction. I, I, I'm sure that I would feel like that if, 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 if you'd just reach the end of... This, this road for a week that's what tennis tournaments are they're, they're, they're journeys if you get to the final you've had an incredible journey one way or another whether you win or lose yeah and again as we were talking about it last week I enjoy these glimpses into the humanity of these people because sometimes they can seem hum- superhuman you know and, and him explaining away his emotion as partly his fatigue well we all think of Sam Vavrinka as somebody that just doesn't fatigue he's not susceptible to those factors in the way that normal human beings are you know he, he has this natural fitness this natural physical strength that is very different to all other tennis players well he was blooming knackered he's at very the end re- of that he's very relatable though I think Stan Wawrinka you know I, I, I watch tennis matches with him and I and I I feel what he's going through. When he when he roars, come on, to himself after a big shot, a big moment. I, there aren't too many other players that that make me feel that that moment like he does. I I, I get hair standing up on the back of my neck when I hear him roar, and and I feel like he wins over crowds in the process. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that, and he certainly won over. I think everybody watching with his uh, speech yesterday. Uh, and he made Federer laugh. I mean, Federer can't seem to stop giggling to himself at the moment. But anyway, um, next on my list, David, is Nick Kyrgios. And this isn't the discussion that I wanted to have with Nick Kyrgios. The discussion I was having with my brother on WhatsApp yesterday after the final was who in tennis, both now and in history, could beat Roger Federer playing like this. And I said the only person I could think of was maybe Nick Kyrgios. But I don't know, because we didn't get to see that match. Yeah, it's a terrible shame, because I do feel that if Kyrgios played and served like he did against Verev and against uh, Novak Djokovic, we would have had a proper match on our hands. And look, we had a good one last night with Stan. But he, he is able to go through countless service games without the opponent even touching the ball. He can wrong-foot opponents. He can hit the corners on second serves at 120 mile an hour plus. That is Sampras-like. And I don't think we've seen serving like that 
from a player who isn't just a big server since Pete Sampras. Uh, I think that is the most comparable person in terms of what Kyrgios is able to do with the serve. And he's so loose. I mean, the one point he played against Zverev where he was lobbed and he played the tweener and then he did the fading approach shot on the forehand and then he did the dink forehand cross-court volley winner. I, I mean, I was I was a mixture of laughing and just jumping out of my seat. You David know. Law was in a, an international happiness day. He was yeah. experienced pre-international happiness so day. I, I, it's a terrible shame that, that he got ill and was unable to play against Federer. I mean, it's just a real shame. But It was look, a real shame also. He, he's that making he, strides though, isn't he? He waited I mean, till I'd got into the office at TalkSport to announce, to announce his withdrawal. Yeah, your message to me was home. full of words that I've never heard coming from you before. I was really... I was annoyed on all the levels. I was annoyed on a personal level, on a tennis level. It was all very frustrating. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we're assuming he's going to play Miami. We know he's in Miami. He's been posting all sorts of things um he said last we heard was he thought it was food poisoning it was suspected food poisoning he hoped it wasn't anything more serious and and we've heard nothing to suggest it is anything more sinister so we hope and expect him to be involved in miami hooray uh and yeah i hope one day soon we'll see curios against federer yeah i'm sure we will and of course we've had it once before but on the subject of miami you know well yeah. yeah on the subject of miami though no murray no Djokovic, both elbow okay. injuries. Yeah, well, I know I'm, 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 I'm getting sure. on to your, your, your... Well, come on. Well, actually, I should let you do this because you're leapfrogging past Dominic Team in my agenda. Which I've is got gonna... Murray and Djokovic in Miami, but before that, I have to... Well, Sch- we've got scheduling vindicated, question mark. Yeah, well, what do you think? I think partially vindicated. I think he's still only reached the quarterfinal. Uh, come on, he, he he lost in a final set tiebreak to Stan Wawrinka. Yeah, he, his body did not let him down. No, it think. didn't. It didn't. I agree. I think it's partially vindicated. Yeah, I, I think that was a very good week for Dominic Team. I still think he should be looking to win Master Series events. I, th- well, I think. I, I still think if he were to look across the drawer at some of the other players I think he will find eventually that he might benefit from scheduling differently as we've been talking about I still think there is a chance that he is building a constitution that can take a heck of a lot by playing so much time will tell possibly yeah I mean the 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 biggest test will be on clay clay is where he needs to be peaking clay let's face it is where he has the most genuine chance of winning a grand slam title I believe that if he gets everything right and everything falls into place for him, he could t- contend at some point for a French Open title. So that is that's the biggest test, I think, because that's where the expectations are highest and where he needs to be peaking. Okay, then, David, Murray and Djokovic both out of Miami with the same injury, or certainly an injury to the exact same part of the body. What do you make of that? as a fact in itself and would you make of what it now does to Miami as a tournament and how that shapes up as a fact in itself it's it's quite shocking because we're not used to it we're not used to tennis draws without those two I mean I I think somebody was trying to scramble around and find the 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 last time that was the situation at the Masters 1000 I've yet to see uh, what the actual results of that was but you know, these are the two players that have dominated the sport for a number of years now, and they dominated the whole of last year, half each, basically. Um, and neither one of them has, has hit top consistent form this year, either because of injury or because of, well, frankly, not getting the job done on court. Murray won his title in Dubai. Uh, Novak won his title in Doha. They've had their moments, but it's not not what we've come to expect it has opened a door for various people certainly Federer um, I think other people now have got an opportunity I think that the, the the wider point is we have no idea how serious these injuries are I mean no. Novak Djokovic has had this now on and off for eight months ten months something like that um, yeah it, it does sound chronic rather than Acute. I did not expect this. Because he said, I mean, really. the victory over Del Potro last week was sensational. I mean, Djokovic yeah. looked close to being back, close to, and then of course the loss to Kyrgios. No shame in that. But yeah, we we well, that's precisely it, isn't it? it he says it was troubling him in Indian Wells. How to what degree we don't know. But we're going to get a hell of a, a an interesting uh, friendship and well clay court season generally as a result of all this um, to see what sort of 
fitness and form they're able to come back in because you know you can imagine elbow injuries being really difficult to treat because you've got to use that part of your body to play the sport it's a bit like the wrist isn't it i would imagine um so well healthy recovery for both of those two as quickly as possible but it i i think it's a shame and yet it's kind of interesting for the rest of tennis at the same time yeah, it certainly is. If you're somebody like, uh, well, I mean, Dominic Team for one, but if you're somebody like Thomas Burdick, for example, he's got to be looking at, at the lie of the land in tennis at the moment and saying to himself, for goodness sake, Thomas, this is, this well, is the time a, has come. Yeah, if there's, ever there was a time to play your best tennis and take advantage of the fact that the two players that have been mopping up the grand slams, well, and Stan Wawrinka, look, I think we sometimes overlook that, but, you know, there is a... A, a wonderful opportunity for other players right now to make a. Well, and somebody like this isn't in the agenda, but I'm going to mention it. Um, Gamal Fees, what an awful time for him to be experiencing um, sort of a crisis, weird crisis of confidence in his career. That statement that he put out um, hours before he was due to play Dominic Team in Indian Wells that was very strange, wasn't it? It was. It was out of the blue, certainly from my perspective and uh, I think he subsequently pulled out of Miami as well and he lost his match in straight sets that night and from, from what I read in that uh, in that statement and reading between the t- si- reading between the lines it sounds like he needs a break he sounds like he's a bit burnt out to be honest with you and, and it's, it gets back to what I said about Vavrinka and that celebration or that moment of defeat when he cried is I think it's too easy to overlook the, the human elements to, to this sport. It is, it is exhausting mentally, emotionally, and these players put themselves through so much strain because they want to do well so badly for so many different people often. And, you know, they're not, they're not impervious to, to stress, for instance. And, and I think that we can occasionally jump to conclusions about people's performances or or reactions on court i mean you know i know that i'm nick curios's chief defender on in so many situations and look the guy is at fault a number of times to do with them but i also think everybody's different and some some people get exhausted and something happens and you've sometimes just got to think well what are they going through in their lives i i don't know i mean you know and and i think that I don't like to treat people with this one-size-fits-all approach. Very, very, very well said, David Law. Um, I think it's time we talked about Elena Viznina a bit, don't you? Not half. How good was she? I mean, and uh, we talked about it at the start of the show. It's, it's the, the way she has come back from oblivion which is what she was in singles-wise. A year um, ago, she was ranked 122 in the world, and now she's at number 13. How about that? Yeah, uh, and she, she's just a... And she was, not to mention the fact that she was 4-1 down in the second yeah. set yesterday. I, I don't know her at all, incidentally. I've never met her, never interviewed her, but, you know, her, her press conferences are, are, are worth her winning on their own because... You, she, she exudes the same uplifting joy that Roger Federer is exuding at the moment. It's exactly the same sort of feeling by osmosis that I get from looking at her as I do from looking at Roger Federer. Do you, do you know, the other person she reminds me of, uh, people used to say when Kim Clijsters was winning titles, wouldn't it be nice to be Kim Clijsters' friend? Because she'd be great fun, wouldn't she? She'd be great, a great pal. You know? Well, Heather Watson, one of my favourite uh, things from yesterday was Heather Watson tweeted Elena Vesnina to say congratulations and she I can't remember the exact phrasing but she said it's good to see a good girl do good basically saying couldn't happen to a nicer person you're great which seemed to echo the thoughts of of most of the tour and Ryan Harrison replied to Heather Watson to correct her grammar it was my favorite thing ever he (laughs) said I think you mean a good girl doing well wow I loved it I was not expecting that (laughs) I think he meant it in uh, the uh, uh, kindest possible way. But, yeah, good for you, Ryan. Newfound new respect. Anyway, everybody seems to blooming love Elena Vesnina, and, and rightly so. She was, yeah, she was pure joy yesterday. She was fantastic. There were only about four people in her winning press conference, which I found devastating really I, I'm surp- well, of course I mean, I the men's s- final yeah. was happening I was going to say I'm surprised I get but it. I suppose I'm not really. I get it but it's a shame 
it's nonetheless a great shame. There was uproar yesterday at the the women's final delaying the men's. Um, but isn't that another reason why that is a bit of a problem? The fact she should have a room full of journalists, not having to think about I need to also cover this men's final. Absolutely, I, I would completely agree with that. And and the women's final wasn't delaying the men's. It depends which lens through which you're looking at it. But Courtney Noyan, who does a rival tennis podcast, so I shouldn't really be shouldn't really be quoting her. But I do think I do think this tweet is is worth pointing out and worth mentioning because. Um, I think it's true, frankly, not for everybody. Not lots of people took great, great joy in uh, the women's final yesterday, but some didn't. And I, she points out that the sweet spots for the WTA in terms of people appreciating it for what it is are so small. She said two set finals get mocked, three set finals, how dare you? Bad finals get mocked and great finals, people say, who are these no-names? And I, you did hear hear that being said yesterday, people saying, oh, Kuznetsova versus Nina, who are these? Despite the fact Kuznetsova is a two-time Grand Slam champion, you know, it, the women's tour can't do right for doing wrong sometimes, and I just wish we could all stand back and appreciate what was a fantastic women's final that proves the depth in women's tennis, the stories in women's tennis, <laughs> and the strength of yeah. women's tennis. Well, I don't disagree. I, I, I for me, that's why it needed to be given a sufficient window in order for it to be celebrated in its own right. I agree. I mean, the scheduling posited it as sort of a you know a warm-up act for the main event, I suppose. Whether that's how it was intended or not, and I, I suspect it just it wasn't thought about in those terms. That's how it ended up feeling. I suppose, and that's that's to, a shame. I'm trying to remember. I mean, a year ago, we would have had a Victoria Azarenka Serena Williams final, followed by a Novak Djokovic Milos Raonic final. Now, the women's final was by far the better, by far the most uh, eager, more eagerly anticipated because of of who was playing in it. And you know, and I I think that that it was still the same way around. I mean, I don't know. I don't know 100. I haven't given enough thought as to what should happen, but it does feel to me like if you built in a bigger window for both of those finals, so that they could be properly celebrated and reported upon and covered, that would be to the benefits of everybody. Yeah, well said. So Vesnina ranked at 13, her first ever Premier mandatory title. It's all amazing. Christine Mladenovic had another very good week. I knew you wanted to talk about her. Is she headed for the top ten? She's at a career high ranking. Yeah, now. I think I think she probably is. I mean, she, her her game certainly appears to have fully matured now, and uh, she is she's such a good player to watch because she does so much stuff. It's it's not just one way of playing the sport, and yet she's tall, she's powerful, she's got. A, an ambitious way of playing. She wants to get to the net. She wants to use angles. I, I just really enjoy watching her, but I, I feel she's really under-delivered over the years. Now, I think the bigger question mark is consistency. Even now, even though she's reached a final and won a title this year, I, I still think there is a question mark over whether she will ultimately have enough consistency in her her game and her mentality in order to, to keep delivering. But, well, the, the, the portents are positive. I think there are some limitations in her technique personally which look look to me like they could be worked on I certainly think the serve could be worked on given her sort of stature and her physique the serve really should be a weapon in her game and and it's not quite as much as it should be and if she could really work on that I think she'd be a force to be reckoned with especially as she's so comfortable coming up to the net and playing around the net because she plays so much doubles of course that helps and it helps with her returns as well I think she could be a really complete player if she could uh, just work on those couple of things. Angelique Kerber, it was a decent week. We were talking last week about who who is Indian Wells big for. And, of course, Kerber, we knew already that by virtue of Serena's withdrawal that she was going to go to number one and we were all willing her to have a good week to to reflect that, I suppose. She had a goodish week, is that what we'd well. say? I, I'd still, you know, based on the performance we were talking about a week ago when she beat Pekovic, I and look, 
Veselina went on to win the title. So, you know, I always think you have to catch things in that regard. What did the player that beat you go on to do? Well, she went and won the title. But she didn't even make much of a match against, of it against no, Veselina. I, the... I just think that Kerb playing her best tennis wouldn't be losing that. I, I don't think. And um, look, she, she said in her post-match press conference, I'm, I struggled to find my game. And um, ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Until she can rediscover it, we're going to be having the same conversation. Will she rediscover it in Miami? Possibly. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, my personal view is that I think that she's going to have a, uh, problems for quite a few months. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I think I agree. I think it's all sort of it's all coming too quickly. She needs to do a feather and just take a couple of months away. I mean, maybe clay sort of will be de facto that because she has so much less to defend on the clay. The pressure comes off a bit, but she's still going to go into the clay court season as the world number one, which, regardless of what you did last year comes with pressure so I don't know um, Miami obviously coming up it all comes so thick and fast at this point in the season doesn't it Miami's yeah, coming up uh, a few other bits and bobs away from Indian Wells that have been happening this week Ali Ashbadene won a challenger title just about the most competitive challenger title you could possibly wish to win and it's been a really tough year for Ali Ashbadene I mean there have been times in press conferences from with him where I've felt like I've been in a therapy session you know and he's sort of having this cathartic experience pouring his heart out and it's always been a bit awkward because you can see how much this guy is hurting yeah and I've wondered whether he might actually throw it in at some points and think I I, I don't need this or I need to take a sabbatical or something like that Um, you're right I mean that challenger I remember I think it was Stakovsky at the start of the tournament saying you've got to look at this challenger draw the acceptance list is ridiculous and when when, I mean to be honest it wasn't until finals day when I realised Bedene was in it and I thought I'd have a look at the draw and you see the players he's beaten Paolo Lorenzi um, we we had uh, Andre Rublev uh, Jared Donaldson uh, these are very very good players and the cut off for that draw was 93 in the world to get into a 32 singles draw 93 was the lowest ranked player Bedene wasn't even ranked inside the world's top 100 you know this guy had to get in as an alternate so for him to come through that draw and I think it is a tournament that he's won before he's reached the final before so you know some places you just happen to feel really good but that is a huge win for him psychologically both in terms of his tennis as well and also now it gives him a chance of getting directly into things like the French Open and Wimbledon so hats off to him I, I, he seems like a really nice bloke and, and I'm really pleased for him yeah he does I th- yeah I, I feel exactly the same also in uh, ATP Challenger Tour news uh, Dan Shapovalov won a title uh, last week beat Ruben Benwomans in the final and beat his, his Canadian junior mate Felix Auger Aliassim whose name I know you love to say uh, can't wait to say his name <laughs> last in week. Oh, in fact I'm supposed to say Shapovalov aren't I but it just doesn't flow off the tongue like Shapovalov so I'm just going to persist with Shapovalov until I get told off by the powers that be anyway uh, he's now officially next gen Denis Shapovalov I mean ATP marketing people are rubbing their hands together in glee because there are official um, road to Milan there are official uh, requirements for being hashtag next gen you have to be under 21 and in the top 200 and this win from Shapovalov uh, takes him inside the top 200 so they can now officially tout him as hashtag next gen they can and, and also he's still only 17 yeah he's in that top 10 now on the road to Milan which is this under 21's <laughs> tournament in November Oh, right, that, that was it. That I was thought it. you were going to say something but Actually, something given this is the guy who obviously had that horrendous situation at the Davis Cup, so caused by himself. six weeks ago. You know, I mean, we, we were debating, you know, whether that might affect him for months to come. Yeah, uh, and look, he, he did wrong. And there is an argument to say he perhaps should have been punished more harshly given the severity of what he did. But it was in- unintentional, I'm sure of that. And he, I think, from the way I've seen him react to it, has learned his lesson. And look, isn't it great to be talking about his tennis? Because he's a rich talent. He plays the game with a wonderful so good. sort of joy. And, and, um, and hopefully he's going to be a, a, an exciting player for many years to come. It's another one-handed backhand as well. They're yeah. taking over the sport again. i got one of those. <laughs> well, I've got a one-handed backhand. It's not very good, but... <laughs>
Uh, finally, uh, <laughs> finally, in any other business, I never thought I would be typing these uh, words together uh, in a 2017 tennis podcast agenda, but Eunice Elanawi, in inverted commas, comeback, because somebody <clears throat> has spotted that he is in the uh, qualies draw at a Bahrain 15K event, and he won his first round, six love, six love. <laughs> He's a comical character, isn't he, Eunice Elenari? Uh, what I always, will always remember him for, we talked about it in the past, is the 21-19 final set he lost against uh, Andy Roddick at the Australian Open in 2003. Also easy to forget that this is a guy who, the round or two before that, beat Leighton Hewitt in his home Grand Slam, who was then world number one and coached at the time Elenari just to, to add further intrigue by Jeff Tarango, who, who has never coached again certainly not a top player uh, on the ATP circuit who I have to say I mean I commentate with Jeff Taranga heck of a lot to offer in terms of his the way he sees the sport he really could help somebody if they had the guts to employ him as, as far as I'm concerned former guest of the uh, the tennis podcast yeah absolutely Eunice Alanawi future though, guest of the tennis podcast I'm sure a coach himself now so very interesting to see and just quickly Catherine on the terms of any other business uh, anything else you want to say about well Eunice I was Alanawi just going to point out that I think as you say it, he's coaching himself now he's working for the Qatari Federation and now we're working with juniors many of whom are entered in the draw in this 15k so I rather suspect what's happened is he's realised he's there they've offered him a wild card into qualies and he's gone well that will help pass the time and so he's done it and he's won his first round yeah. six love six love so and on the t- subject of comebacks albeit a, a rather more straightforward one Milos Raonic returns to the circuit having missed uh, India Wells he's going to be in Miami so it'll be interesting to see whether he can capitalize after his injuries and just announced he is going to play at Queen's uh, the Aegon Championships where he reached the final Remember when he was a set and a breakup against Andy Murray in the final? Then he played him again again in the Wimbledon final. What do you think? And he said in his speech on the court, by the way, David, king of the segues, well done. Well, thanks. Um, And he said in his speech on court, uh, he said, I'll see see you on on centre court for the final in three weeks' time. Is he ever going to win Wimbledon? Is he ever going to win Wimbledon? I think he will. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe 60-40 he will. Okay, I think so he'll we, get we one. Think, he will, I think he'll probably get one. McEnroe's been quite outspoken on him in the past few weeks, hasn't he? Said the only thing that's holding him back is his head from winning Grand Slams. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Very interesting. Yeah, he said it. I'm not sure who he said it to, but probably anyone that will listen. <laughs> uh, anything else, David? No. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> We've been the Tennis Podcast from the Putney Exchange, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Not in association with the Putney Exchange, but Although, we're, you know, we're, you know we're open to coffee office. shop partners. Are, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a gap in the Tennis Podcast marketplace. So uh, we've been the Tennis Podcast with no coffee shop partner for the moment. We'll be back soon. 